0: Alright, as you find your seat, if you want to take your Bible, make your way to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we have been in a series called The Journey to Jesus. And as we make our way into the Christmas season, and uh, Merry Christmas by the way. It's Christmas season at Redeemer. Gotta love it, gotta love it when the trees are out and uh, the baby is being born And the anticipation that comes. But last week we looked at the life of Zechariah. We looked at the dad of John the Baptist. And a lot of times we recognize the greatness of John the Baptist. And we forget that it was in the insignificant that God gave birth to the significant. That it was the weak thing of the world, Zechariah, that he brought the strong thing of the world in John the Baptist. And and that's really the message of the gospel. That's the hope that we have. But as we think about that, and as we transition into talking today about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the earthly mother of Jesus, um, I couldn't help but think about my iPhone. Any iPhone users in the house? Come on, be loud and proud. Let me see it. Any Android users in the house? are going to have a time of prayer over you right now, <laughs> ask that the Holy Spirit would come into your life. No, I'm sort of kidding, sort of kidding. Actually, I'm all the way kidding. But it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this and if you didn't, you should not do it. Um, but there was an update uh, on the iOS, which is the operating system. And with this iPhone update uh, came this new thing called the screen time report. Have, have you seen this? Straight from the devil, straight from the devil, because it tells me how much time I'm wasting in my life, right? And, uh, you know, it hit me the other day as I'm sitting there. And can I just throw this in there? That for some reason, that report comes to me on 830 Sunday morning. You tell me that's not Satan. And then I've got my watch on and it dings in here and it's like, screen time report. You are a complete waste of time. And you're like, great, it's It's awesome. Like, we need to recategorize. That's actually, I was reading my sermon notes, not Instagram, right? But it hit me this week that sometimes all it takes is the smallest thing, like a screen time report, to remind you and to remind me that every moment matters. You know, Scripture talks about things like there's going to be a day where we stand before God and we give an account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. And we feel the weight of that, right? And the Christmas season can do that for us too, can't it? Where we we get into the nostalgia of this season and, and for whatever reason it's those moments where we look at our kids or we look at our parents or we look at our situation in life and we're reminded about the things that matter. In fact, even in Christmas we, we say it this way, right? That Jesus is the reason for the season and While that's a cliché, it became a cliché because it's true. We're reminded in this season about the things that matter, that that the moments of life matter. And when we come to the story of Mary, Jesus' earthly mother is a story of a journey that began in one significant moment. That God came to earth. And when she heard that news for the first time, and we look at the events surrounding her life, we're reminded of how God chooses to work in the world. Look at Luke chapter 1 if you're following along in your notes. I want to give you the first point before before I even start reading. Uh, if you're on your phone, you can go to the Version Bible app, go under events, and you'll find the same notes that are in the worship guide if you uh, prefer to do notes that way. But... As, as we start to read this story, I, I want to give you this first point. And I want you to write it down in your notes. Here's what, it, here, here's what it is. God has a significant plan for your insignificant life. God has a significant plan for your insignificant life. Look at how the story of Mary begins. It says, In the sixth month, and the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love this truth that God has a significant plan for your insignificant life. Because when you come and you look at Mary, from the world's standpoint, from even a leadership standpoint, from making logical business decisions, Mary was the wrong person for the job. She just was. Think about it. In, In that culture, she had every strike against her. She was young, which was looked down on. She was from Nazareth which was looked down on. In fact, we have two other stories that will come later in Scripture. Uh, somebody in the Sanhedrin is going to find out later in Jesus' life that he was from Nazareth and, and his response is going to be, Nazareth? Has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? That was the reputation that this particular city had. Thankfully, Tampa's not like that. Amen? Right? We're, we're on the rise. We got stuff, stuff happening here. Not Nazareth, not Nazareth. Jesus, in fact, would in his earthly ministry, he would be 31 or 32 years old and he would go back home to Nazareth and try to do ministry and he would go in there. And, And there's two things about that that don't happen in Jesus' life. But in this moment, first of all, the Bible says he could not do ministry there. He could not do miracles there. And then the second thing is that it says that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus went home to Nazareth and was shocked by the lack of belief that they had. So Nazareth, she didn't have that going for her. And then the final nail in the coffin is that she's a virgin. All things looked down on in that culture. Young, young, from the wrong place and the wrong identity. All things were wrong. And she's distracted by that, isn't she? Understandably so. The Bible says, I mean, let's just be honest. If Gabriel shows up at your house, it's going to be a good day. Amen? If anybody just like, if Gabriel shows up, you would be like, I don't got time for you. That's not going to happen, right? If Gabriel, one of the only two angels named in the Bible shows up at my house, we're going to try to make that last a little bit, right? We're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about why the bucks stink. You know, we're going to try to send some messages back to God. You know, we're going to spend time. But the Bible's interesting here. It says that Mary was troubled by this. Mary was troubled by this. You know, one of the easiest things that happen in the life of a human, in our lives is that we fall into these traps of only seeing our own lives. We get distracted because distraction is the first thing the enemy will use to steal your joy and steal your purpose. Think about it. We talk about the reason for the season, but how many of us are experiencing the reason for the season? It's hard. We get stressed out. We're trying to work. We're trying to buy stuff. We're trying to do more stuff. We're, I mean... Mm -hmm. You know how it is. I mean, you just think about some of the easy ones. Your job, your school, your money, your car, your achievements, your social life. Maybe for you it's your image, how other people perceive you. Your boyfriend or girlfriend, your parents, your husband, your wife, your kids, and your church. We can, we can keep going. And we get distracted by all the other things and we fail to see what God can do in us and through us because we're so distracted by what we can or cannot do. Most of the things that distract us are good things. Think about that. The Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And most of those things that I just listed are good things. Now, how many of you know that when good things become God things in your life, they become bad things? Because anything that distracts from the worship of God that you hold on to is never going to bear fruit. It's never going to bear fruit. But when you hand it to Him, it begins to take purpose and bear fruit, right? Because all of those things are things that He's given to you and He's asking you to steward for His glory. So as you do that, if you hand that to him and allow him to work through that, it will begin to bear fruit. It's, it's true for you individually, but it's also true for us as a church body. Oh, I would just think about that obvious place in Romans chapter 8, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You, you know it really well. I'm going to throw it on the screen for you so you can read it with me. It says, And we know, know. You know this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know this. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. We know that. We know that mentally. But some of you are laughing because sometimes we don't experience that. What does it say? It says, for those who are called according to whose purpose? Sometimes we're not experiencing that we know what we know about God working together things for good because we're using it for our purpose instead of His purpose. Oh, you're not going to amen that, alright? I'll keep moving. I get it. Verse 29. He just keeps going. Listen to this. He says, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn. Among many brothers. Not that me might be the firstborn. That he might be the firstborn. Go to verse 30. It says. And those he predestined. He also called. And those he called. He also justified. And those he justified. He also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? It's a great question. A lot of times we read through these famous verses. And we kind of. We don't ask that question. It says, What should we say to that? If God's called me and given me a purpose and justified me and glorified me for that purpose, what what do we say to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, a lot of times we take that verse and we use it for whatever we're going through, and God wants us to take it and use it for whatever He's taking us through. What should we say to these things? God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has a significant plan for your insignificant life. You see, because when you look at who you are, you know, in your little sphere of influence, you might have some, some weight, some authority. But it wouldn't take us long to just backtrack out into a bigger picture of the world and you'd realize really fast what we all realize really fast is that I, I'm actually quite insignificant. But according to Romans chapter 8 and according to what we see here in Mary's life, God has a significant plan for your insignificant life. And that's good news because when we start to do the things that he has wired us to do, we start to find the things that we have always wanted. So as you think about that, and as we move to the next section of scripture there, I just just think about how amazing this story actually is. What, what this angel is coming to Mary and saying, he's basically saying what you and I are being told. That you're a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody. Maybe you should tweet that. That was pretty good. Because that's our story, isn't it? We're nobody. I mean, we we could all walk out of here and aside from a few waitresses who would know my name, people don't know who we are. We're a nobody. But isn't it amazing that as we try to tell everybody, God starts to save somebody. And that's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And, and it's happening here. Listen... Gabriel, the real Gabriel, an angel sent as a messenger from God to a city and to a girl. None of which mattered. Logical plan or illogical plan? It's an illogical plan. It doesn't make sense at all, right? That you would go to the to the worst place and pick the worst candidate to bring the best thing that ever happened to the world. But that's how God chooses to work in the world. And if you'll put your faith in that God, he'll begin to do things in your life because he gets 100% of the glory. God's going to use you if you're willing. He says he will. He promises to. In fact, he told his disciples, when I go away, you're going to be able to do greater things than I ever did. What? That's how God works, and the Bible's full of that storyline. But as you step into that next part there, I want you to look at verse 30. Look Look at what happens as she is greatly troubled, right? She's disturbed, she's distracted by her own shortcomings. Listen to what Gabriel says, the message that he brings to Mary from God. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What an incredible thing! I mean, think about Mary. I just described who she was, she was a nobody. She was the wrong candidate for all the right reasons. And this angel comes and says, I'm coming to you from God. You have found favor with God and you're going to get pregnant. And it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. And she's thinking, oh, my gosh, Instagram's going to go insane. Right. They don't have Instagram, but how many of you know? Gossip is gossip. It always has been. Right. Can you just just put yourself in Mary's shoes? How many of you ladies have ever been engaged, ever in your life? Come on, raise your hands. You you know what that's like. You know the anticipation of wedding day, uh, getting to build your marriage and build your family, and the naivety that's going to be perfect, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be the best thing that ever happened. And then the experience of wedding day, and just how incredible... Mary was in that place. Mary was in that place where she was going to start to reach some of the milestones that would make her a significant person in her family, in her town, in her city, in her culture. And this was going to ruin all of that. This was going to ruin all of that. Not not to mention the fact that she was a virgin. And now she's going to have to go to her fiancé and say, Guys, you just 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 think about how this would sound. Hey, hey, Joseph, I'm I'm pregnant. What? We've never slept together. How are you pregnant? Well, it was God. Just think about that. That's the way in which God chose to bring this message to Mary. Second point in your notes, and this is what Mary was going to learn immediately in this moment, is this, the free favor of God is all you need to fulfill your purpose. No matter how difficult it looks, no matter how wrong it looks, if it's what God called you to do, He will do it that it's the free. Listen to this. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. Why? Because you have found favor with God. I just read to you the same message that God gave to you in Romans chapter eight, that if you have been called by God for his purpose and he has justified you, glorified you and called you to it, then who can be against you? Mary needed that message in that moment that all you needed was the favor of God to do what God's called you to do. Because if you do it on your own power, it's not going to happen. Don't be afraid. You have favor. And what does the angel say? He will be great. You see, when we get that perspective, when we stop worrying about me being great, and start focusing on him being great, God's going to start to move in your life. God's going to start to do the things that he's put you in your place to do we go on there in verse 34 and i love this mary says to the angel the obvious question of the day right how can this be since i am a virgin it's the question of the day think about that why was this question okay and zachariah's question not okay you see this this is where the bible is real for you and i you see god god's not afraid of your questions But he might be offended by your questioning. You see the difference? When you're trying to live in the purpose of God, to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance in the purpose of God is is a good thing. It was for Mary. She's like, okay, but I don't know if you know this, Gabriel. I'm a virgin, and you tell me I'm going to have a baby. How's that going to work? That's a good question. What did Zechariah, the Bible says about Zechariah, that it was in his unbelief that he told God, that's not possible, I'm too old. There's a difference. And so for you and I, as, as we look around and we we begin to feel the Holy Spirit prompt us to move in, in certain ways and with certain people, we're, we're, we're okay to ask questions, but we're not okay to question. If that makes sense. But I love... The angel's answer. He moves into that conversation about the favor of God and says, She says, I am a virgin. How's this going to be? In verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And, be- and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Here we go. For nothing will be impossible with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Mary, if God is with you, if God is overshadowing you, it doesn't matter what's happening around you, for nothing will be impossible with God. Not even for you, Mary. Not even for you, a virgin. Will this be impossible? And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The third thing I want you to write down in your notes is this. The Holy Spirit's power will overshadow your shadow of doubt. See, oftentimes it's that shadow of doubt that keeps you from speaking to your neighbor. It's often that shadow of doubt that keeps you from speaking to your mom or your dad or it's often that shadow of doubt that keeps you from opening your mouth at work or at school or you fill in the blank because as we consider uh, doubt is not the problem faith is not the absence of doubt faith is moving forward knowing that God is bigger than my doubt faith is not not being afraid See, Mary was afraid, and what she got in response to that was, You don't have to be afraid because you have God with you. If God is for me, who can be against me? For nothing shall be impossible with God. Mary's whole perspective changed. Gabriel says, Don't be afraid, Mary. He will be great, He will be the Most High. He will reign forever and he will overshadow you with power, with God. All things are possible. That is the, that's the message that she got. Not a single thing was about her. Did you notice that? that? That good news comes in the fact that whatever God called you to do, it's bigger than you and it's for his glory and not yours. You see, and so often when we seek the things that bring attention to us, we actually find slavery, and when we seek the things that bring him attention, we actually find freedom. Think about it this way, just like Peter was hanging out in an average fishing boat with average fishermen on an average night at sea and they're they're sailing around and and all of a sudden they they see this guy walking on water and to make the story short they they realize it's Jesus and Most of us are in the place of those other disciples who are like, Oh, it's Jesus. Come on. Come on over here. Come on. It's so cool he's walking on water. And Peter's like You know, he was just a little bit crazy enough, just a little bit trusting enough, didn't think about the details of jumping into the water enough. And he says, Hey, if you're if you're God, let me walk on water. And don't you know that Peter got out of that boat and what did God allow him to do? Walk on water. What happens when Peter started to say, hey, I'm walking on water. What did he do? He sank. And what did God do? He rescued him. And that's our life. If, if you want to see God move in your life, he's willing to move in your life, but he's asking you to step out of the boat and step onto the water in faith that He will do what He said He's going to do in your life. Not that you would have the ability to step out and walk on water. There's a difference. There's a perspective change. You know, Mary's calling wasn't easy. In fact, it was incredibly difficult. When you just think about the the actual aspects of what God was asking her to do she was giving up her whole life she was laying down all of her own ambitions to be a servant of God as she puts it trusting in the fact that nothing will be impossible with God God was doing significant things in the world through her insignificant choice to obey And he'll do that for you. He is doing that for you. That in the ordinary moments of life, if you'll choose to trust him, he'll do significant things in your life. An easier way to think about that is as you choose to follow his plan and his calling and his purpose for your life, he'll do significant things through you in someone else's life. And that's an amazing privilege. Now, as we close, I I want to just pass through you for a moment. Is that okay? Permission to step on your toes a little bit? Is that okay? Talk to me. Alright, two of you. Take what I can get. There's a story in Matthew twenty five. It's the story that Jesus told. It's the parable of the talents. And what happens is Jesus equates his church and himself as being a master and servants. And the master comes to the servants and he gives each of them these talents, as the Bible calls them, or resources to take and use and invest and multiply. And so he comes... And gives the first guy a certain amount. And the second guy a certain amount. And the third guy a certain amount. And then he goes away for a period of time. Does this sound familiar to anybody in the church? That he came and gave us everything that we need for life and ministry. And then he went away from us for a while. And he's away from us for a while. And then as the parable goes, he comes back. And he comes to his servants and he says, I'm back. <laughs> what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with? the investment that I made in you. And the first guy says, well, I took it and I did this, this and this and I, I tripled your money. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he goes to the second guy, what did you do with your money? Well, well, I took what you had and I did this and this and I didn't get as much as that guy, but I did my best and I I invested it and, and I doubled your money. And he says, oh, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he comes to the third guy and he says, oh, what did you do with what I gave him, he said, well, I was kind of afraid. I was a little bit scared that if I went for it and I lost your money, that you'd be mad at me. And so I dug a hole and I put it in the hole and here's your money. And Jesus basically said, and the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. What I gave you was for you to invest in the world around you. And make it a better place. And to reach people with that investment. And you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And he cast them out of his presence. And what I want to say to you today at Redeemer City Church is that God has made significant investments in each one of our lives. He's given you all each different gifts to be used by him in the world. He's given you different resources financially to be used by him in the world. Think about it. It, It's all his and he lets us keep most of it. And he asks us to use it to make advancements for his kingdom in the world. We could go on and talk about time, how how, how are we using our time, and we come back to where we started, that it's in these insignificant moments that we're reminded that every moment matters. But as you begin to feel the weight of that, I want to encourage you that all of that weight that you feel can be left at the feet of Jesus, because... What this story shows us is that Mary was being given the most important deposit in the history of the world, but she didn't have to do anything with it. She just had to trust God. And so what I'm saying to you is that as God has made a significant deposit in you, all you have to do is trust God and move forward in faith. And as he brings opportunities for you to steward what he has given you, that you will take them. Because most of the time we're so distracted with our own issues and our own stuff that we miss those opportunities to make an investment in what God's doing in the world because we're too busy investing in what we're doing in the world. And what I'm saying to you is there's freedom if you'll let that go and begin to look and hold on to the things that God holds on to. Think about it this way. Redeemer, we've been and over the past two and a half years a part of some amazing things That's thanks to each one of you. Some of you are literally in these seats because people came before you and invested in what God's doing. For those of you that give sacrificially, we've given thousands of dollars away to missions outside of this place. There are children in Ethiopia right now who are being reached, rehabilitated, and reunited with their families all in the name of Jesus, all through the local church because of what you do, because of what you give. It's an incredible thing. We've grown by 30% this year as a result of you doing missions in this city. We've baptized 15 people and saw them come to Christ and declare it publicly. That's, a, that's God doing significant things through an insignificant group of people. And he gets the glory for that. We've spent hundreds of hours serving others. But what I'm saying to you is we can do more. We get to do more. And wh- why is that all important? Why does that all matter? I won't just look back on the wall there. The mission statement of this church, the vision statement of this church is written really cool in chalk. You know I didn't do it. But it's the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 that we exist to share and spread the liberating power of the gospel. That every decision that's made individually and every decision that's made corporately flows out of that because ultimately everything that god's doing in the world is so that people might see him bow the knee to him and glorify him and one day he's going to come back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess but listen we're here to encourage and what does he say he says compel people to come in so this house may be full we're doing what we do for that. And if we ever stop doing our whatever we do for that, then we need to stop doing it. We're here to make a difference. And the beauty of that is if you'll surrender what He's already given you, He'll begin to use you to make a difference. Isn't that awesome? Can he, Jesus get a good amen in church today? I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in a song. And what I would like for you to do is just grab that Journey to Jesus invite card near you. Just grab that and put it in your hand. And I, and I want you to, to get some names in your head. And I want you to start praying for them. I've already been hearing about stories, uh, even even in our own life, canonized life, of, of people who are going to come and it makes us nervous. <laughs> You just, want, you just want God to do something awesome. But that's up to Him. All we have to do is say, listen, God's done some incredible things in my life and I want you to come hear about it.